Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. This episode contains a conversation that I enjoyed so much. I know that for many educators right now, you are thinking about ways to really foster a sense of belonging in your classroom, in your learning organization. And you want to make sure that the learning that you are co-creating is identity affirming. If that interests you, today's guest is going to be a wonderful expert for you to connect with. Before we dig into that conversation, I want to tell you about another podcast that I have been enjoying. And this podcast connects to an earlier episode of this show. If you caught episode 87, the summer halftime show, you heard Ange, Shannon, and I talking about some of the queer pop culture that we hope to get to this summer. Well, the podcast that you're about to learn about is a great space for you to go um, if you love exploring popular culture, if you like thinking about representation, and... The host of this show is always taking recommendations. So if there is a TV show or a film that you'd really like them to get into, you can put in your request. So join me in learning about this other podcast that I think you might enjoy. Hey y'all, my name is Jessica Bolton and I'm the host of Get Your Binge On, the podcast that was created to help you find your new favorite television series. With so much content out there, it's hard to know what to watch and it's so easy to click the first show that you see. On this podcast, I'll help you find your new favorite binge-worthy series. Be sure to listen to my recent episode, Spoilers Yellow Jackets, where I talk about the Showtime show that was thrilling and fantastic. Also, I did a film feature on Call Me By Your Name, one of my favorite films of all time, and we had such an amazing discussion. Go to www.getyourbingeon.com and leave me any recommendations of shows you'd like me to cover. You can listen to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Good Pods, Amazon, and Audible. And be sure to follow me on all my social media platforms on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, at Get Your Binge On. All right. Bye. You can learn all about that podcast by heading over to the show notes. Make sure you get your requests in. Now, without further ado, I am so excited to bring you this week's conversation. Enjoy. So welcome to Rebecca Magden listeners. To connect with the work that Rebecca does, head over the show notes. You might even want to pause the episode right now, follow her on social media, get her website saved, and then come on back and join us. Welcome, Rebecca. So first of all, thank you so much for having me, Trisha. It's such an honor to be on this podcast. I've been following you for a while, and it's just an honor to be uh, an educator featured on this podcast and, and part of the amazing work that you do. So thank you so much for that. Um, a little bit about me, you know, first and foremost, I used to identify myself first with what I do and who I, you know, the different ways that we show up in the world. But I, I really want to say that first and foremost, I'm a fierce advocate for joy. And really in everything I do, I am constantly seeking out ways to advance the agenda of joy. Um, so that really, it defines everything that I do, the way I interact with others, um, everything really centers around joy. And, and that's super important to me, not 
because joy has always come easily to me. And I think that's why I'm such an advocate for it because I really believe in the power and the way it, it brings people together. So that's first and foremost. Um, and then to kind of go a little further into who I am and my story, uh, I really feel like I can't share too much of who I am without acknowledging my ancestry and those who have really put in their life's work to pave a path ahead of me in order for me to be who I am. And so in light of that, I come from a really rich cultural heritage, um, a loving family with a long line of musicians, singers, ministers, educators, activists, social workers, entrepreneurs, you name it. So I, I first just really want to honor and thank those who have created this path for me, um, because really who I am today as uh, I am an education consultant, I'm a speaker, I'm a writer, um, and that has all literally been generations in the making. So I, I like to remind myself that I show up anywhere I show up, I show up as one, but I have the backing of thousands. And so that's a little bit about my background. Um, and then, you know, growing up a little bit of that part of who I am, I grew up in a small town in Midwestern USA. I was the first uh, child in my family born in the U.S. My parents immigrated from India. And uh, so I think really early on that had a huge part to play in who I found myself, you know, how I found my identity, because I really learned early on without even recognizing I was learning how to navigate between different cultures, different languages, different food, different um just different lenses of how you see the world. And I think for a long time, you know, when people meet me today, they meet this like confident, joyful version of Rebecca. But I think for the longest time, I, I would find it safest to blend in as much as possible. I wanted to really try to just, you know, be liked and appreciated and valued, but not to have done anything that would cause too much attention to come my way in, I, you know, now looking back on it, I think because of some fear or, or, you know, just some feelings of inadequacy, I think of the attention being called to my differences. And I, I think I had, it took me a, a long time to realize that those differences are actually much like spices, <laughs> you know, they're, they're what make my life so uniquely beautiful and my calling, my purpose, what it is. And so I think that's it's from that experience of having lived a lot of my life being muted or blended and not speaking out um, that has then really been the fuel that now has pro propelled me to being someone who who wants others to find their voice to find their freedom to find their identity to find their unique place of belonging because I think it's in that, then you can confidently show up when you confidently show up as yourself and you're accepted, then it's just so much more pure. You know, you're being accepted for who you are truly, and not just for showing up with in the way that others want you to show up. So um, I think that's a little bit about my background, my ancestry, <laughs> you know, hopefully that gives kind of gives you a little bit of a a window into who who Rebecca is 
today. <laughs> it does. Thank you. And I, I really appreciate your note about, you know, furthering the agenda of joy. You know, just listening to your introduction has done that for me today. So you, you've, <laughs> you've already done that a little yeah. bit. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I really appreciate too what you, what you shared about introducing ourselves and not necessarily having our work be like on the front burner of our identity. That's something that I've been thinking a lot more about recently mm -hmm. too. So, you know, again, like, thank you for, for bringing that up, making us question that as sort of a, a practice. I think that's really, really important. Um, thank you for sharing all of that. Rebecca, you've co-founded Maracuja, which is a program that aspires to help scholars see themselves as their very own academic subject. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of that program, um, how, how it came to be and, and um, reveal behind the curtains a little bit more um, yeah. what, what it's doing? Yeah, for sure. Um, I always tell people to be careful when they ask me about Marikuja because I it's my baby. I love it so much and I could just talk about it endlessly. But yeah, Marikuja is a character driven uh, program where we give kids time and space to explore themselves as an academic subject through the lens of passions, exploring passions, curiosities, and interests. Um, and so really at the core of it, it's really about giving kids a chance to discover who they are, um, what moves them, what, um, what they're pulled towards, what they're curious about, just really giving them a chance to explore their own character. Um, and so, the, the origins of this program back in 2013, my colleague and dear friend, Nicole uh, Angstrom, she, she and I really started to, we just honestly began with conversations. We started to really question and wonder like, what would happen if we give, give, gave kids uh, time to explore their own curiosity. So it really started with more, I guess, more in the lens of um, a creativity passion learning program and we wanted to give kids time to just explore the things that they wanted to learn you know we're in schools we're often dictating or kind of telling them okay this is what's happening here's your schedule this is what we're learning and yes we want to follow um, you know we we try to make it as student-centered as possible but when is there really a chance for them to fully explore the things that they're interested in so it really began from some of those questions and and just wondering what would happen if we took the risk because it is a risk as an educator to let go of some of the control and to really put the learning into into the hands of students and to know that they might be exploring things that we have no idea about and that we're not the experts on and from that beginning we really started to see such a shift in our classrooms um, we brought it to our team. Our whole team started to implement the program. We did initially have pushback from um, from others who who felt like we, you know, were taking away from academic time to just let kids goof around. And but what we really saw was that when kids were given this chance to explore and they were given that ownership and that responsibility of their learning, they really, really took it seriously. And we saw like, I mean, just complete transformation in our kids already um, that that very first year of Marcuja. And it was such a su success that then we were backed and we were supported and we started to expand um, by bringing in some, you know, 
grounding it with some character development. And so over the years, now I've taken it to, that was in Brazil that we started it. So actually the, the name Maracujá in Portuguese means passion fruit. And so we kind of kept it with that because we, we also didn't want kids to feel, kids or parents or the other educators to feel like the intimidation with the word passion. You know, when you hear like, okay, we're going to do passion learning. Sometimes there's some people who are like, I don't know my passion and I don't have a passion. <clears throat> and so we decided to just use that word marcuja to kind of take away from that intensity of maybe feeling like you had to figure out your life's purpose in third or fourth grade. And so, but since then I've, I've brought it to a school in Belgium. We've brought it to a few other schools in Brazil, some schools in the US now as well. And it's continuing to advance and to um, expand because there's so much power in putting, you know, giving kids the chance to unlock the possibilities of who they are. And um, it's really on at this point, it's almost 10 years. It's in the program. Marcuja has impacted thousands. I can say, honestly, I have parents who still reach out to me to tell me about their kids in college who still reflect on Marcuja. I have kids. Um, I just recently got to, had the chance to go back to Brazil to the first school where we started. And some of those students have now graduated and are in college. Some of the kids are in 10th, 11th, 12th grade. And so, so many of them were telling me things like, it changed my life. It, it really gave me the confidence to be who I am. We've seen kids, you know, just really transform and, and just come out of their shell to be confident in who they are, to be confident, to, to be able to speak confidently about the areas that they still need to grow in, to celebrate their own strengths, you know, to, to have that confidence. So that um, what happens then is that translates into a shift in the community in the, of the classroom, because when kids, when, when one unique individual can stand confidently in their own um, strengths and the areas that they still need to grow in, they know how to celebrate others because they know what it's like to feel vulnerable, to share their mistakes. We celebrate mistakes. Um, and so then there's, there's such a unique bond between the students because now they're celebrating each other. They're supporting each other. They're learning how to be vulnerable and accountable with one another. Um, and that absolutely then um, moves into the academic areas because then once that community is there in the, it, it's there, you know, the whole entire day. So when we are in math, for example, you'll still see kids, you know, reflecting on things that they were learning during Marikuja. Well, remember we were talking about resilience during Marikuja. Maybe we need to try a different way. Maybe we need to try again, you know? So they're using those same lessons, which is what exactly what we do in life. We use the life lessons that we learn to then bring into the work that we do. And so we're trying to do that same thing for kids, give them that chance to learn those skills authentically and not in isolated character lessons, but just to really give them opportunities to explore passions and curiosities, to experience failure. We talk about what failure is and how do we, how, you know, how do we encounter failure? How do we overcome fear? We talk about those things that Honestly, I wish I had experienced as a child, you know, to be given that voice and to, to know like, okay, actually fear isn't bad. Making a mistake isn't wrong. Um, 
learning the lessons and being able to move forward is really what is empowering. And then that, that absolutely is evident and seen in, in all the other academic areas. So now I actually say it doesn't take away from academic, academic time. It adds to the academic time because teachers are then able to pull on those things that the kids have been doing during Marakuja and, and most importantly, human lives are changed. You know, they're, they're the way they look at themselves is completely transformed. And, and that's, that's what we're here for. I really appreciate, you know, what you're, what you're talking about when, you know, this, this idea that, oh, it's taking away from academic time. No, 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 it is academic time. And, you know, the, the phrase psycho, um, psychological safety comes up quite a bit. And, and this is what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how can I feel psychologically safe if I don't even feel like this person who I'm partnering with for my learning is interested in who I am, is going to be a part of me figuring some of these really essential life life lessons out. Um, and I, I really like that you're talking about making a sustained investment because sometimes you know, it's, it's sort of like the superficial poster that might be up on the classroom wall about like, you know, failing is good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's one thing to like have the, the words or the yeah. surface level phrase. It's an entirely different thing to keep coming back to these conversations with learners. And, you know, you mm -hmm. mentioned as adult learners, it, it is tough for us to keep digging into that. And, um, you know, vulnerability is something that's discussed in adult learner circles again and again and again. And I think in part that's because it is really complex right yeah. emotional literacy is not something that you can just have a you know one-off lesson for and then oh it's absorbed I, I i get it it does need to be what i feel like you're describing as a true partnership it's not you know sometimes the word empowering learners like sometimes i kind of think that word or that term can be slightly problematic because learners already do have some power right it's it's sort of about you know That's us, so not, true. us yeah. not giving it to them yeah um well you know i actually there's an analogy I, i've used um to describe this because i love what you just said like we're talking about empowering kids when they have power within them and so something i've often said um when I'm talking about Marcuja is, you know, we have those, we have some people who are like, I want to make it as easy as possible for my child. I want to go, go ahead. I'm going to open all the doors of opportunities that I possibly can because I love them. And it comes from a place of love, but we, we know that just going ahead and opening the doors is actually quite limiting to children because it's telling them this is the door. <laughs> and so then we have had a shift where now, you know, there are more people who are saying, well, we're going to, give them keys so that they can unlock the doors. And so I'm going to, as my, as an educator, I'm going to give hand, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to give them the keys. And I want to even shake that up and say, what if we just teach them how to find keys? Because there are doors that exist that I don't even know exist. And so if I'm giving them keys, it's because I know these three keys open some doors, <laughs> but if I'm teaching them how to actually internalize learning and how to internalize or to just truly understand who they are, how to navigate life successfully on their own, then I am able to teach them how to find their own keys so that they unlock doors that I can then even be like, oh, I didn't even know that existed. And that to me is, you know, it's 
really, in, you know, ties with what you were saying about they already have power within them. It's just a matter of giving them a chance to find that power within them. You know, and actually that the thing about the academic subject in our mission statement came from a student our first year when we were telling some of the students, like, we don't know if we're going to actually be able to continue this because there was quite some, you know, initially some pushback because we didn't, you know, the evidence wasn't quite there yet. And um, so we were kind of being open with the kids and saying like this, you know, we're trying this out, but it honestly might not continue. And I'll never forget this student who was um, really honestly wasn't the kind of student that would speak up much in class. He looked like we had told him that the world was ending. And he told us, he said, you know, I wish they understood that Marikujad is an academic subject, but the academic subject is me. Mm -hmm. And we were all like all the educators in the room, all of us, we were just like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? And for this nine-year-old to say that, to have this understanding that, no, I am the academic subject. Like, stop trying to limit me to what you feel I need to learn. Yes, all those things are important, but what if it's also me? What if I am the academic subject? And to me, that's just, that is like forward thinking, the kind of innovation that I want to talk about. Like when we talk about innovation, I don't want to limit it to technology. I want to, I want to take it to how are we really truly meeting the needs of this future 30, 40, 50, 60 year old that's in my classroom today? Like what is he, you know, what are they walking out of from in what well, during my time and in, in, you know, during their time in my classroom? What are they going to walk out with that is going to impact their lives forever? And that to me is like it goes back down to the character skills, their own view of themselves, their ability to navigate through conflict and difficulty. So, as I said, I could talk about it forever because I just so passionate about you know, changing lives in this way by allowing them to understand that they can change their lives. And I, I kind of want to just underscore something that you said. It was keys, plural. It was doors, plural. And you had mentioned, you know, sometimes it can be super stressful. And I even find this as, you know, a middle-aged person when people are like, what is your passion? As though there has to be one thing. And I almost wonder you know, the, the idea of a passion fruit, I don't know, maybe I'm getting like a little bit too carried away with the metaphor, but you know, like there's multiple little bursts of passion fruit inside of the fruit, yeah, right? It's not yeah. just one thing. I love that. And, um, I get to produce, uh, produce and sometimes co-host another podcast, the shifting our schools podcast. And we've had a number of guests on recently, um, who have kind of shared, they are not just doing one thing, right? Mm -hmm. They have been able to follow a, a variety of different interests. Uh, Swapna Krishna has a brand new PBS YouTube channel um, that's it's called Far Out, and it's sort of like all things space and STEM. But she was also sharing how she has this great column with Wired that's all about her experience as a a woman of color in the gaming world and like how okay gaming has sort of been like it is for these people and she's like no 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 it's for me and mm -hmm. also my interest in games is not necessarily like shooter or competitive games i like gaming for kind of like the solitary wellness and her column is really interesting but something that she talked about was really wanting the flexibility of i can pursue multiple passions right mm -hmm. like 
I am not as a human, what you said at the top of this episode, I am not just what I do for work, but also my interests, my passions can evolve. And I think that is such an important message, again, for, for young folks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and to see sort of the, the interconnectedness of our interests as well, and to have that, that sort of, not this binary thinking, but yes. you know, like this yeah. spectrum of passions is what you're sort of talking about too. And that message there that you can change. Yeah. You know, like yeah. We, we want, we want to evolve, right? Like mm-hmm. we want to keep growing. And I think that is such an important message. Yeah. And we, we stress that a lot about when it comes that I've, you know, in, since, you know, uh, formalizing the program and trademarking it, we've move towards taking out the words passion learning in the title. So, you know, we do things through the lens of exploring passions and curiosities, but it's really, it's Madhukuja. And what is Madhukuja? It's a character program. And because those are the things that are long lasting, you know, those are the things that you learn resilience, not from seeing it on, you know, like you said, the posters that you see, you don't suddenly grasp resilience from a poster or from, you know, one less isolated lesson, you you learn that throughout multiple chances of experiencing building your resilience or your patience or your time management or your communication or whatever it might be. Um, so that really, that's, that's the focus. And as far as the passions and curiosities, absolutely what you said, like we are so multifaceted. And I think the moment we try to like put those multifaceted pieces into one box, this is who I am. This is this is it. Then we really start to experience things like anxiety and depression because then we're not fully living. And to me, I'm like, I've experienced that so many times. You know, there was a time that I wasn't able to get a teaching job. I had moved somewhere new and I wasn't able to get a teaching job. And it robbed me of my identity because for so long, that was how I showed up. I'm a teacher. That's how, you know, that's where I got the accolades and the praise and the celebration is because I'm a teacher. And to suddenly feel that, wait, what if, like, who am I if I'm not the teacher? Who am I if I'm not part of, you know, if I don't show up as this person's partner, if I, if I don't show up as, as funny, if I don't show up as, you know, all these different things that I would often feel like, oh, these, this is how people are defining me. I have to always show up this way. Um, Or as a singer, I was a singer for a long time, or I still am, but, you know, professionally I was singing and, but then when I really start to feel like a pull away from that, then um, you know, it kind of shakes your identity until you realize like you're so much more than the way the world defines you, or even some of the ways that you define yourself at the inner core, like, who are you Mm. and who are you showing up as when no one is around? Yeah. And, and keep asking that question and remain curious about the answers. I I love that. Rebecca, you have your own consultancy. You provide training and speaking on a a range of topics. Again, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're not just doing one thing, um, but you, you know, you, you do really tap into this idea that we need to do more in terms of addressing, unpacking, exploring, being curious about identity and belonging. What is identity and belonging to you? And and what does that look like when you're working with schools, learning organizations who want to create a strong sense of belonging within their own communities? Yeah, well, I love that question because to me, um, you know, identity and belonging are some of these words, 
there are words that recently have been kind of hot words that a lot of schools, thankfully, I'm really grateful for it. A lot of schools and organizations, corporations are really looking to, to increase their capacity for providing a, a safe place for, you know, identities and, and diversity, inclusion and equity and, and belonging. Like all of these words are, are so huge right now. And I'm so happy about that because for a long time it, it wasn't, um, or it wasn't really, you know, on the forefront of our, of our minds. To me, identity, when I really think about identity, it's knowing who you are at the very inner core. You know, like I was saying earlier, outside of all the context that the world can give me, um, outside of even my own limitations, because I don't know about you, but for me, I've in, if I look back on my life, there are so many times when I've put labels on myself that then I realize later, like, aren't actually part of who I am. And so my identity is at the core, the, like who I am on the inside, who I am in my character um, and belonging is just knowing that you're in the right place at the right time and you're deeply and uniquely valued. And so when we talk about this in workplaces or in, in learning organizations, um, identity to me is more than just acknowledging someone's, you know, the way someone chooses to show up or the way someone is showing up. Um, it's really want, having the deep desire to know who they, who they truly, truly are. So when someone looks at me, okay, or if they meet me, they might say, okay, she's an Indian woman. Then when I start talking, maybe they might guess, okay, maybe she grew up in the US. Um, you know, I'm I'm straight. You know, there's all these ways that I they can in a few minutes they can be like, okay, yeah, no, I know Rebecca. But do you? Do you really, really know me at the inner core of who I am? Do you know me at my lowest? Do you know me at my highest? Do you know how I react in difficult moments? Do you know how you know who how, who I am within my the family context. There's so many other ways to know me. And, and I'm not saying that we have the time to do that in learning organizations that were at work with each and every individual, but really um, having the desire to know people for more than the, it, the surface level. And I think there are so many ways to do that, you know, through vulnerable and honest, trusting, you know, creating those tr trusting um, spaces and conversations. Um, and that that's really reciprocal, you know, as a school leader, are you being vulnerable? Are you showing up in a way that those that work for you or with you know that they can trust you, that they can show up if they're, you know, there's tragedy, can they be their authentic selves? If there's, um, you know, a struggle with identity, can they process that with you that, you know, there's that element. And then beyond that, Trisha, I would honestly say for me recently in the last two or three years, I've been on this journey of really, really digging into identity and belonging, but first within myself. And, um, all right, you know, I, I said two or three years, but I think it's been much, it's been a lifelong journey, but really in the last two or three years, it's been coming to the surface of who I'm, who am I, and do I belong within myself, regardless of how anyone else around me shows up. So can I show up to a place where I may not be accepted or my voice may not be readily heard? And can I know within myself that I belong? Am I constantly looking 
to others for the validation? Am I constantly looking for someone else to give me the microphone so I can speak my voice? Or am I, do I know within myself that I listen to my own voice? I hear what I have to say. I pay attention. I don't try to silence her. I don't try to ignore her. I, I'm not trying to constantly put her down for the things that she tries. You know, I'm really paying attention a lot more to that inner voice and how, how I'm showing up for myself, you know, and how I'm creating a sense of belonging within myself. And from that place, I'm telling you, like, everything has been transforming. <laughs> like I'm with this inner knowing that I belong within myself. It allows me to move in and out of spaces where I may or may not be, you know, what someone is looking for. And then to still know with grace that, I'm showing up with the purpose that I'm intended to show up with. And if it's not what someone else needs, that's okay. If it is what they need, then that's amazing because I'm showing up as my authentic self and I can be who I need to be and impact others in the way I, I want to. So when I'm working with schools and organizations, I really first love to start with school leadership and just really talk first about what does our our spaces look like here what do your spaces look like do you, and you know and how do you know what's the evidence of how you know um the levels of identity and belonging and um inclusion that people feel and then based on that like what can we do to shift that and so even with school leaders i've there have been times where i've pushed them to do some internal reflection as well like how are you showing up for yourself? Like, do you feel a sense of belonging within yourself? Um, because from that place, then you can create a space of belonging for others in your organization. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate, again, the significance of that statement that we need to start with this learning and this reflection within ourselves first. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as educators, we're often asked you know to lead learning of others and i really do believe if if you haven't started that journey with yourself first it's really really difficult to lead that learning in an authentic way um you know and i'm thinking of what you said um you know i, I work with schools on lgbtq plus inclusion and i've had this conversation multiple times with different school leaders where um, you know I'll be talking about how we can look at the ways in which LGBTQ plus people are represented in the media. And sometimes I'll have a school leader say something like, "I mean, I don't really understand the significance of that." And then we'll we'll talk about it, and I'll say like, "Have you ever thought about the way that heterosexuality is portrayed in the media?" Um, you know, and sometimes it'll be like a hmm, and we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about you know some of the harmful messages that there are around. Um, you know, like there's this trope of like husbands and wives kind of hating each other. I, I feel like yes. this is, you know, yeah. like a, a common trope. And in a lot of uh, TV shows and, and films, there's a great book by Dr. Jane Ward called The Tragedy of Heterosexuality that kind of goes through that in depth. And the thing that, I, you know, that amazes me is that every time I have that conversation, often that person will say, do you know, I never thought about my own sexuality before like that's the first mm -hmm. time I've thought about it um you know and often these are people again middle age and up and so again that idea of starting with self first and mm -hmm. as you I think have have reiterated multiple times this is not a one-off intellectual exercise right because 
we do change. You know, like mm-hmm. I feel very much I am a different person in my 40s than I was in my 30s, than my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sustaining that conversation with self is is so important. And I really appreciate too that you've talked about how it's joyful and it's a beautiful experience. It's not yeah, it, that it can be that, right? Yeah, yeah. I I use the word grace a lot as well to extend grace and compassion to myself because I don't know about you, but like there are plenty of things in my twenties and thirties where I'm like, oh, I wish I would have known that I should have been more like this. I should have, you know, spoken up about that. I should, you know, but I extend grace and compassion to myself because I am a constant, I'm a being who's in constant learning and, and, you know, I speak with school leaders and educators about that as well. We have to constantly be in this, we're in a constant state of learning. You have to extend grace and compassion for what you didn't know when you didn't know, but then also use that to fuel you to say, and this is how I'm going to choose to move forward and show up and impact others. You know, um, that's, it's super powerful. And as, as you said, you know, just being able to do that inner reflection, it's, it's from that place that I think everything else that when we talk about DEIJ or LGBTQ plus in our schools, we can approach some of these things without having some sense of like stability within ourselves. And I've experienced that myself. Like, you know, when someone comes to me with something that I haven't done to the best that I could have done, or, um, you know, there's there an example that I have is I had a boss who came to me and, and told me that like, hey, you're the language that you're using when you send out your parent emails, it's always mom and dad. And, you know, my what I could do is my first reaction could be super defensive. I could be irritated that she didn't acknowledge the amazing work that I put into creating this Google form so I could even get information from the parents. Like she didn't even acknowledge that. Da, 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 da. But instead, what I, because I have developed this inner stability of, I know who I am and I know that my heart is to seek out the best for others as well. Then I can actually look at her and say, okay, she's coming to me from a place of love. Maybe I'm not the superstar in this moment. Maybe she's thinking in the lens of the children and the families that are in my classroom. And so I have no issue with someone coming to me with feedback to say, hey, mm, this is something you need to fix. This is, or this is language that you're using or, um, you know, just thinking because like you said, we can't be expected to have, to be able to think like everyone else or to experience what everyone else is experiencing. So when someone comes to me and they bring something to my attention, my first reaction isn't to maintain this beautiful crystal clear image that people have of me. It's to say, okay, talk to me. I want to listen. I want to hear, I want to, you know, be able to acknowledge who you are because from my place of stability, I can then acknowledge who you are and how you're showing up and what you're bringing to me without fear and without even the surface level um, desire to just make sure that, on the outside, I look really good, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the thing that really, to me, I, it has to go much deeper than the checklist that we, you know, that we use. Like we we all have checklists. We wanna show up in certain ways and we wanna make sure we look good. And we whether it's the statements we put on our websites or the diverse look of people on the website or, you know, whatever it might be, like it has to be so much deeper. It has to be about people. And really at the core of any genuine change that is effective and meaningful, it's relationship. And if we can't do that, then, you know, 
then it's just checklist and it's not meaningful. It's not effective. It won't last the next storm that comes. It will, it will cause the organization to crumble because at the core, what has to really truly be built is, are those relationships. And as you said, like, there's not a, a shortcut to deep relationships, right? This is not a, Ooh, okay. We can have a one hour workshop and that's done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, questioning why, there are certain things that it's like schools will rush and yet there are other professional learnings that we're willing to keep coming back to this again and again. Mm -hmm. And what you are talking about is at the core. It cannot be rushed. And I, I actually believe if it is rushed, it's harmful because educators are, are well-versed in what we actually value. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and we get it. If this is a, a one-off, if this is a one hour thing, we know, okay, we're doing it to tick the box. We're not doing right. it because we really mean it. Um, so that's, you know, in my practice, I've, I've really started saying to schools that have asked to partner with me, like, I, I'm, I don't do one-offs anymore because yeah. I actually think what you're relaying is that you see this as a tick box. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll often say, look, even if you want shorter sessions, but we're going to stretch it out over time. Mm-hmm. That, I think giving folks that time in between to be thinking about this and you have to sustain the dialogue, I think is so, is so very, very, very important. Um, so uh, again, I just, I, I really like thinking about resisting that urge to how quickly can we just get this done and not right. seeing it as a, okay, that's done. Whoosh. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it, the change won't last. Mm -hmm. you know the change won't last so yeah it really it requires a lot of internal reflection I think and that can be intimidating you know it can be a little scary and having gone through that myself um and realizing on the other side and I say on the other side but to me it's a constant journey but now I'm at a point where I realize like going diving into that very intimidating scary place of discovering more of who I am has on the other side provided me with so much more confidence and peace. I can wake up with so much peace, even when nothing around me makes sense, even when there's absolute chaos, there's such an inner peace within me. And it's actually um, what led me, to, I actually recently created a course called Finding Home Within, specifically for right now, I'm, I'm limiting it to educators who are living and working abroad. Um, who are really interested in doing some diving into that inner work of finding home within, because I know you, you probably understand this as well. Like when you're in an expat living abroad, um, not only physically do you feel kind of like, okay, this isn't home, but then when I go back, that isn't really home. But then I also have this other country I used to live in and that sometimes feels like home, but it's not really home. Like there's just all these different pieces to that, um, you know, the th third culture life or whatever you want to call it. Um, but then on top of that, there's there can be a lot of inner feelings of loss and chaos as you navigate all these different identities and the different ways you're showing up at all these different places. And so I'm launching this course actually this fall in October um, to just dive into that, to like finding home within, to find that stability. That sounds fantastic. So that's coming up this October. And again, we're getting closer. Some folks um, really close to the start of the academic year or have already started it. 
Um, what are some of the opportunities for school leaders, for learning organizations to reach out, connect with you, um, to think about bringing uh, Maracuja into their system? Uh, what, are, what are the different ways in which you, you partner with schools and not just schools, but any, any organization who is interested in, in doing the amazing deep learning that you're providing? Yeah. Yeah, so right now, um, as far as consulting work, not only with Madhukuja, like if schools are interested in bringing Madhukuja, um, I definitely am super excited to bring on new schools um, who are interested in doing that, as well as workshops around identity and belonging, um, or you know, speaking engagements. And so, a lot my information can either be found at my website, which is RebeccaMacton.com. Um, I can also be reached like through my Twitter, which is also Rebecca, you know, Rebecca Macton and LinkedIn. Um, to be clear, I should say that my name is spelled R-E-B-E-K-A-H and then Macton, M-A-C-D-E-N. Um, and I also have an Instagram, two Instagrams, one, my personal one, which is more about the speaking and the, the work around identity. And so that's also Rebecca Macton. And then the Marcuja Education Instagram, um, where there's some information there as well about the program. And listeners, to make it nice and easy, again, all of those links are going to be there for you, ready for you to go click on in the show notes. So you'll be able to find all of the ways to follow Rebecca there to reach out um, and, and find out ways that you can connect your school, your learning organization with her. Rebecca, lastly, again, since we've been talking about identity and belonging so much, sometimes I feel like um, media is a really great entry point into exploring them. I've been talking with um, friends and family a lot about a show called Severance. I don't know if, if you've seen it, but like the no. basic premise is these people that go to work, but when they go to work, they have no, they're cut off from like their personal selves. Like they don't know, it's like they are two selves, their working mm -hmm. self and their personal being. The working self has no memory, has no understanding of what their self does outside of that job and vice versa. Um, and I think I connect with it again, because as you were saying in schools, sometimes our educator identity is like so fierce and be can become like so dominating. Um, you know, what you were talking about earlier in that anecdote of you know, resisting this, oh gosh, I, I have to be flawless. I must be perfect. And instead realizing like, no, actually being fallible and learning from mistakes. This is what I'm trying to model all the time for young learners, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I've, I've kind of said a lot of words to get around back to the question <laughs> of um, asking you, uh, you know, what, what you've been enjoying in terms of, of media lately that maybe inspires you or inspires the, the work that you're doing. Yeah, um, well, I, I do listen to quite a few speakers and people who are right now are in that same place of having that vision for transformation of lives. Um, some of the people I've been listening to are Lisa Nichols. I'm actually had the amazing chance to be mentored by her recently um, in a 10 month course on speaking and writing. So she's a huge inspiration. Um, she really helps remind me that we're all so integrated. We're not just how we show up at work, but we're mind, body, soul, spirit, everything. Um, and I have several people that I follow, um, like Glow um, at Autonomo. She's an amazing, she's a traveler, woman of color, who's also um, very 
deep into her, her spirit, into showing up authentically. Um, there are so many singer songwriters that I love and I'm super inspired by India Ree, for example, someone who every time she sings a song or shares something on her podcast, I feel like she found my journal and is, is sharing something from that place. Um, I'm reading a book right now actually called Welcome Home that I have here with me, which is an amazing book um, that is really a, very similar to what, what I talk about is just like finding, you know, finding home within you. And so, yeah, I would say some, those are some of the things that have been inspiring me. Um, and then I, I honestly, I have to say like, this isn't really media, but my family, like we, I come from a really huge family and I can honestly say like each and every one of them, even some of the little ones, like we just have these soul conversations and then it inspires me. It's a lot of my writing comes out of those moments. Um, the speaking topics, these things about identity, so much of it comes out of those conversations with them. I, I love that. <laughs> Thank you for, for sharing all of those recommendations and, um, and, and touching again on, on the role that family is playing in your work. Rebecca, thank you so much for your generosity, your time, your insight, sharing your stories. It Again, it was such a joy just to get to sit here and listen to you. And I look forward to, again, following along, seeing, um, you know, what, what's what's coming up with the work that you're doing. Listeners, I'm guessing you feel the same way. You also want to follow <laughs> along. So be sure to head over to the show notes to follow Rebecca and connect with her online. Yes. Thank you so much, Trisha. It's been such an honor. I'm so happy to connect with you. You are inspiring to me. So thank you. I should have mentioned your podcast as well. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm blushing. I don't know if you can tell because of the Zoom filter. I'm like blushing and, and uh, No, really. Like you're, I'm like in a time, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, the matrix, you know, I'm like, I'm inspired by you, but we're on this podcast. So yeah, thank you so much for having me here. And um, I'm super happy to connect with anyone, even if it's not necessarily to bring me in as a consultant, but you just have questions or just want to chat. I love connecting with others. So yeah, I'm happy to connect with anyone, any of the listeners or continue connecting with you as well. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was so inspired by everything that Rebecca shared. I'm so grateful for the time that she put in to coming on the show. So folks, head over to the show notes, make sure to give her a follow, reach out to her in order to learn more. Also, I want to give you a short and quick reminder that we are just a few weeks away from the Band Together annual virtual auction put on by the nonprofit Pride and Less Prejudice. You can learn more about the important and amazing work they are doing to make classrooms more LGBTQ plus inclusive by heading over to www.prideandlessprejudice.org. As always, listeners, I'm so thankful for your time. If you have just another moment and you can rate and review this show, it would mean so much. See you soon on the podcast. Again, episodes are now going to be scheduled for every Thursday. So see you in a week.